This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Rum, do you hear something? Yeah, what is that? It's a bird. No, it's a plane. No, it's not that. Ooh, it's the best of the buzz with Bill. Is that right, eh? It's a good sign of things to come. Commentary on trending headlines with veteran AMI producer Bill Shackleton. Well, now. Billy! I say Shack! Yep, I'm back. Virginia mom helps families tackle school lunch debt from the Associated Press. The what what this this a woman in Virginia is helping her district skill, uh, deal with school lunch debt. So school lunch debt occurs. Um, well, this year there's uh, across the U.S. there's been 19.2 million dollars in debt that schools have had to pick up the cost for lunches. So basically you have the state, several states have mandated, mandated school lunches. And we all know right. mm-hmm. that it's the, it's, it's the one meal that students get. Mm-hmm. So the situation you have is um, when there was a pandemic, um, both the farm, former president of the U S and uh, president Biden waived it so students didn't and parents didn't have to pay for lunches but now um that waiver that is coming to an end so the problem is that um somebody has to pay for those lunches and apparently there are there's a problem with who's going to pay them now it comes down to the schools um so basically they have to pay, they're going to have to pay this huge debt. And unfortunately, the money that they're they're using to pay this debt could have been used and should have been used on more resources. So the tragedy is that they have to, you know, pay this debt. And this woman is helping um, her district in Virginia by raising money, help pay this, pay this off. Yeah. Yeah, because I know they've had the lunch programs in the oh, United yeah. States at schools yep. because there's so many people who struggle and families that need that extra yeah, help. Sure. And to guarantee at least, as you say, Bill, one, even if it's one decent meal a day, um, because yeah. sometimes some of the families, that's the best that that, that they're going to get. Oh, and it, these it, programs it, before the pandemic were rolled out, I believe, right? I'm not sure how yeah, long they yeah. had them. So when you see that during that time when it was waived now, and again... I don't know if they're calling in the money from the time when they said we're waiving it or if we've lost that ability to put that money aside to do it now and the programs are kind of hurting. So you're giving up on, I'm assuming, taking from other programs, situations well, that kids you are. do after school to pay this, which means they don't get to do those or areas where maybe extra supports are. Yes. And the other thing this woman is doing She's advocating that food not be thrown out. I don't know if I right. like, if kids yeah. don't need it. I'm not sure about that one. Um, yeah, I think it goes back to the food waste that we see mm-hmm. going on. I'm obviously they're not going to scrape off people's plates. We didn't need all that. We'll just take that bill for later. <laughs> that'll go to the uh, compost. I, yeah, exactly. And you know what? I would love to see even a lot of that stuff going out to farmers. Help them out, yeah, right? Because that's, that's you for know, sure. the pig farms could really use that. But I do understand that we tend to oh, that fruit looks like it's wilting a bit or whatever. And again, I know we have a mindset that oh. I'm not going to eat that. Look at that. And the food, yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. And I think that education is a huge education all of us need. 
food is such a large conversation around schools, Isn't right? It? Like from breakfast programs to lunch programs mm -hmm. to where are because it takes a lot of keeping tabs on what's actually happening and being conscientious that not every person, student, staff, whoever, is coming from the same situations. Just because we're coming into school doesn't mean we're bringing a lunch or that we can afford to buy from the cafeteria, et cetera, et cetera. So there are, like, if we're thinking equity, there are a lot of things to consider, and mm -hmm. and it takes much effort and much community to kind of plan through and coordinate these things. Well, and we think schools have to, they have to do it right, right? They yeah. have to be the ones to, re, to reach us first on Pressure. the way nutrition should be. So they're under a total different gun to succeed as a school because, you know, if your school can't succeed, how do you expect families, kids, everyone to learn? Yeah. yeah. And that's got to be real pressure, even when it comes down to, yeah, we're providing lunches. Well, what's this hamburger doing here? Is oh, this yeah. the best food you can get? Shouldn't it be spinach and, and, and veggies and other things? Because it's not a dictatorship. Like, there's so many opinions you're going to get, uh, parents and teachers and everybody trying to either work together, hopefully, potentially, but not always the case. And, and people will critique and criticize how programs are being run, too, even if it is with the best mm -hmm. intentions. Well, we had that at W. Ross because of the being a residential school over yep. there, and they would oh, follow yeah. the Food Guide of Canada. And yep. at that time, when I went to Saunders, when I left um, W. Ross, you bought your lunch down there, and you know, a lot of time it was, hey, man, cheeseburgers, yay, right? as opposed to this, oh, and that can of Coke and stuff like that. But now it fast forward a the number of years. cream of wheat, yum. Yeah, Red River yeah, cereal, no, Bill Shackleton's so. favorite yeah. in the morning. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it's really different. Ramya, did you guys like? Did you? How much choice did you guys have at lunch in, in high we school? We had a cafeteria, you and you could buy whatever you want. Mostly junk, though, like the best fries, cheese fries, chili cheese fries. Okay. Those are good. Uh, but we had a breakfast program that was legit. It was for free. And you could come in early and get, um, you know, fresh produce. You could get granola bars, cereals, like uh, dry food as well as hot food. And um, wow. even take it to class. Like, you didn't have to chill and stay and expose yourself. If that wasn't your game, you can take what you needed and leave. And it was really, really helpful for a lot of people. Could you eat it in class or was that to be done Yeah, you could take else? it with you. No, you could take it with wow. you in class. Yeah. That's, that's There's interesting. There's a nice... I'm not even sure if it was like a written thing, but there was this nice culture about uh, at Winston Churchill about breakfast where people knew where this food was coming from if you were stopping by the breakfast room and taking it, and you could bring it to class and nobody would really make a big deal out of it. Interesting. Really fascinating, and I think with a lot of inner city, as we hear in the States, as Billy's bringing up, real important to have these programs. U.S. couple struggles to bank huge haul of pennies from the BBC. <laughs> yeah, you're going to love this one. You're absolutely going to love this. Um, so essentially what happened was a couple was cleaning out their father's basement, um, and they found pennies, bags and bags and bags of pennies. They figure that, of course, they didn't count them, because it was too many, they figured they had over a million pennies. Oh, who? what? A million. 
pennies in bags and, 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 you know, pennies that were rolled up. They're heavy. Um, Properly stored. Yeah. And rolled. Well, they figure. Um, yeah. They figure that it was, um, the house was a bed and breakfast, but the point is. <laughs> is that what they figured? All, yeah. <laughs> it took them all day to get all these pennies into trucks to get them to the bank and the bank wouldn't take them. I oh, mean, no, we got to count them. I mean, they didn't count oh. them. They just, they just went by the weight, but can right. you imagine going to a bank with um, a million pennies? Aren't there machines that can count? Pen Maybe not anymore. Maybe I not thought that machine you I mean, could I, just I, dump that stuff into and a yeah. computer can, you know, I, I thought, but then that sounds like bed and breakfast. That sounds like all the tips that, yeah, I'm uh, raising my eyebrows at this bed and breakfast uh, wow. story. Well, but where are they supposed to go with these pennies now? Well, I don't know. Well, they're going to sell them. They're going to put them online. They're going to sell them because it's like, I think they've, they're worth $10,000, but they're going to sell them They're as collector's items. Now, the yeah. thing about these pennies is that they are, they a lot of them predate World War II. And cool. the bank, cool. yeah, well, the banks that issue these pennies aren't even in existence anymore. Mm -hmm. And as you may know, the pennies um, were made of copper up until World War II, and then of course they needed copy copper for the war effort, mm -hmm. which is why they changed to to zinc. So they want to put those pennies in. They want to sell them so they can help renovate their house. Oh, they better be careful or someone will break in there and steal all yeah. that copper. Yeah, that's really something. I mean... Uh, that, they're going to get rich off I, this, but this is definitely not work that they planned for. No. I, I couldn't imagine sitting there every night yeah. for an hour counting just to kind of figure out just what to, oh I have, gosh. how much, uh, you know, and putting them in some form that when whoever comes to buy them, collectors, or collectors that call up and say, I'd like to see all of them because there's certain ones I'm looking for for my collection. That's Are right. No way. Like, you'd have to unravel every roll to find out what kind of pennies were in there. Like, if was there yeah. a system? Not really. Oh, my God. Gosh. And you probably in Hideous. in amongst that has some pretty valuable pennies. Like wow. Yeah. transportation method transport method could allow more patients a chance at life-saving surgery yes um kind of an interesting one from um hospitals in the u.s um are they've developed a new type of surgery when it comes to organ donations um they're calling it donation after circular death so under the older method, what would happen is if you were dead and, and you had no brain activity, you would get, you know, when, when a surgeon declares you dead, um, you could, if you were an organ donor, you could get those organs transport. Well, they, you would have to put, they would be put in a machine and they could revitalize them and then use them for transport uh, for transplant. Right. Um, the new surgery 
is that if you were involved in a catastrophic accident and you had some brain activity um, and let's just say you were taken off life support, at that point, your organs could be, if you were a donor, a donor, you could get those organs taken out of you and you could get them revitalized and they could be put on ice and used. The difference between the two is under the old method, if you were brain dead, the organs might not be as useful. So what they've just, what they've done is now, because you're technically not brain dead, they're finding out that some of these organs are, um, you know, after they've been revitalized, um, they have a better chance of being actually used as opposed to hoping that if you were brain dead, maybe this heart might work or maybe it might not. So mm. it, it just means that there are more organs available, perhaps, yeah. to be transplanted. Yeah. And, and it's nice to see what they discover, because how does that help in other areas, maybe prior to a person's death or very quickly after? Or maybe, as you're saying, Bill, not so quickly because of this kind of procedure, um, making more available to people instead of discarding or... I don't want to say trial by error, like they put it in and, oh, this isn't, work. you know, I know, no, that's not the case. But I mean, you know, saying, oh, this one isn't, our tests are showing this one's not, not usable. And that's time waste. If they can find a way to cut that down, excellent. Yeah, I don't know what the ram ramifications are. How long would you have to be? I mean, how technically you would have some brain activity, but how much? So there has yeah. to be a lot of privacy concerns about you know, how much activity you would have to have before and, you know, you would be taken off life support and so on and so on. So it's a lot of things we don't know, but it seems to me... A lot of balancing me, to find the yeah, answers. Yeah, there is, there is. Okay, sir. There is. Excellent. Nice piece. Nice knowledge, nice information to bring. drama teacher who includes deaf students in school is going to get a Tony Award. So basically, this is kind of interesting. What this guy does is that he's getting an award because he's closed the gap between the deaf and hard of hearing world and the vision impaired world. Um, basically, what he has is 150 drama students in his class. And they perform one musical, I believe it's one musical, and one play a year. But here's the difference. His actors and actresses, well, I guess they call them actors, are they must perform sign language as well as speak the lines. So in other words, wow. yeah, you don't have like an, an, um, um, an interpreter on the stage. What you have here is actors that need to know sign language so they can, you know, say what's going on with their hands and as well as speaking them so that the people that are vision impaired um, can can understand. Wow. That, I don't know how you a, do that. Well, as an actor, too, I mean, I think this would be amazing to see. I wonder how their style is, especially when it I comes wonder, to blocking. 
Um, you know, some of us, I know myself, as, as when I've done theater, uh, the blocking is so important, especially being low vision, it, just in, in moving around and finding your spots. And, and that I couldn't imagine doing sign as I'm doing the lines, moving around. So I maybe they do a little less of, of blocking and, and sort things out. That is fascinating. But wow, you want to talk inclusive. And you know, I think that challenge alone, directing, that, that, that puts you in that category where you do have to look at people doing these things when it comes to these awards. We're always very quick to say, hey, this New York play, get a Tony for this or whatever. You really want to see also at least one award, one, one Tony award that recognizes something so, I say monumentous just because for the actors, for everyone, it's a hard, it's a large task. Not because they're disabled, it's because of what is needed, and and this calls for a really great, really a good attempt to be inclusive, Bill. It's, uh, it's phenomenal. How do you do sign language and speak? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't your lines sort of be stilted if you're doing sign language and you're trying to say at the same time? I wonder how you do that without like making it sound natural in a play. I have I, no idea. I think the the amount of rehearsing, right? You, you you still act. You still are. I think it becomes second nature, and especially the people that are probably auditioning, getting involved, or involved in this company. Um, you know, of students doing this. I think as they rehearse, it just becomes such second nature, and really fantastic. Uh, the process, the idea itself, yeah, really huge. First of all, it's not something that. I would be able to do. I'm, I'm with you, Bill. I think my mind and my, and my hands would be working at two different levels that I just wouldn't be able to do. Secondly, I would say that when you become passionate about something and you have the desire to want to do something like that, so learning your lines and then subsequently signing it, you're going to put in the time, the effort, the resources that you need to be able to teach yourself listen, I got to do this and this at the same time. I mean, you know, we, Kelly and I and you have to talk and think at the same time as we're doing this. But for us, this is second nature. And some people wouldn't be able to do that. And in this case, for them, I also agree with Kelly in that it would just be almost second nature. But for me, mm. not even close would I would yeah. I even try that. Well, and I think it ends up being like something else you're doing on stage when people are always doing different things. And if you and again, I don't wish to suggest for a moment they've cut back on the blocking, the movement or anything. I don't know. But, um, you know, I think at first you layer it in your rehearsals and you get there somehow. Um, I, I just think it's, it's and again, to us, it's quite impressive. We're not doing it. We haven't seen the show. You're imagining it just like anything. And and it, it's like pretty impressive. I love the inclusive business because so many people can enjoy this. It, it opens the doors to that many more people. talk about the Toronto Blue Jays and um, it's it's basically Toronto Blue Jays add um, sensory and feeding rooms to the Rogers Centre coming mm. from the Canadian press. 
So essentially the Blue Jays in their ongoing efforts to be inclusive to everybody, um, they have added a sensory, sensory room and a feeding room. So the sensory room is available for any fan. It's free. Um, so post basically Down syndrome, um, um, people who are autistic, um, post-traumatic syndrome. Um, so the, the, basically they have the, 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 the room has beanbag chairs, oh, um, nice. a coloring, a coloring station, um, um, a wall and a muted TV. Um, actually they call it a dub, a bubble wall. I have no idea what they are, but like they also walls? have, yeah, I, I guess so. Or, or is it your, or is it literally the popping? Uh, bubble wrap? I don't know. Like bubble wrap wall. Maybe somebody can find a photo and describe it for us. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe someone can let us know because I wonder if that's it. Because, well, I know speaking for myself, that's something I find incredibly calming. Mm -hmm. Love it. Used well, to love it ever since I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I still love the bubble packs, right? What you get from Amazon? Yeah, anything. Yeah. And I find myself sitting there, pop, 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 pop. It, it's, oh, yeah. All kind of sounds to me like, you know, somewhere you'd go to be quiet anyways. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well, it also it also has a muted TV. Yeah. So that right, which I understand that, that. So maybe oh, noise, of course, noise, yes. and people that are distracted and just want to get away from it. Um, so there's actually a feeding room that has rocking chairs, um, changing tables, warming bottles, wipes, and this sort of thing where you can, I guess, take your little ones in and and you know, change whatever you've got to do. And this is all, you know, to be make, you know, as you know yourself, they are renovating the ballpark in a huge way. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is all in, 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 in an effort to be, everybody can not, if you know, enjoy the game in any way they have to, and it may not be just sitting in the stands. You can mm -hmm. go to a quiet room and just enjoy well, and I think, Bill, this is one of the things that I know, Rumbia, we had Andy Frank who had paid a visit to the stadium and checked out the new areas in the outfield. And he talked about the 20-somethings that were there enjoying themselves, the loudness as mm. soon as you moved away from the seats and everything like that. I really think that when we have something like what you're bringing to us, Bill, this particular room, we don't hear enough about this kind of initiative. But to, to really realize they're trying to make fan experiences for everyone. I know this is phase one that they're going through right now. There's phase yeah. two over next winter into next season um, for, for the lower bowl uh, in the stadium. But you stop and say, my goodness, talk about trying to include and make different experiences um, for, for whatever. You know, I think we were very quick to think, oh, rooftop bar and loudness and things like that yeah. up there in the, the 500. Day. But we're also seeing them being inclusive and welcoming others and saying, hey, when you need that break, anyone, mm -hmm. go and take some time here in this room. Yeah, I'm not saying it's like cool to be quiet or to want to have quiet spaces, but I'm kind of saying that. Like, there's lots of... Um, venues now places and and just vibes where you can go and have a very relaxed time and be open and honest about how the atmosphere can feel way too stimulating and that's from children to full-grown adults to friday night and saturday night vibes to you know brunches or whatever right like there there isn't really um 
as much stigma around this anymore. The other week, I visited with my friend, uh, the Ottawa, um, what is it, the History Museum, and they had a children's area, and it was mm -hmm. absolutely packed with children, okay? Like, the complete opposite of COVID, where kids everywhere, touching everything, putting things in their mouth, parents running around, crawling all over the place. Uh, but then, once you leave that area, there was actually a completely relaxing space, yes, where there were mm -hmm. coloring books and tactile things, um, beanbag chairs, as you mentioned, cushions, where it, it was totally encouraged. And both spaces were pretty much the same um, capacity. Like, you could hold the same amount of kids in, the, in, the, in either space. And I found that to be very, very inclusive. Uh, also, our control room staff found the bubble wall, and it's, um, you know, plastic bubble-like structure. Uh, around a wall, and um, they said there are LED lights with calming colors and the flow of that kind of thing. So sounds pretty yeah. interesting. It does. That's really nice. And and I I know we've we've talked on the show too about snoozeland rooms and what they do in hospitals in different circumstances yeah. uh, for for resting for for people for stimulation. Uh, and it, it's just break. really great to see these things that are being incorporated because a ballpark was what it was a place to sit there watch a game not not much else and now the recognition around major league baseball and other sports is you got to be is so many different things to everyone yeah. nice bill thank you Bill Shackleton is a usual suspect on our show, Kelly and Rumya. You can catch Shaq skulking around the studio on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at the end of the first hour of the show. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for more of the buzz. The Best of the Buzz with Bill features Bill Shackleton, Kelly McDonald, Rumya Amuthan, and Brock Richardson of the AMI show Kelly and Ramya. The technical producers of this podcast are Matt Agnew, Jeff Ryman, and Grace Scofield. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. <laughs>